With those Bibles you held up or electronic device with your Bible you held up, we're going to be in Matthew 26 today. Matthew, we're in our series on Matthew. Um, We'll finish that series up next Sunday, Palm Sunday. And then we'll move in to have a standalone message for Resurrection Day. And then I'll start a new series uh, the next Sunday that will take us uh, several weeks. Mark Barrier, Mark and Paula are planning to be back with us uh, May 19 through 22. Uh, You'll want to make sure and avail yourself of those messages and uh, those times. So uh, he's now... Uh, ministering out of the Kaimichi Mountains in southeastern Oklahoma uh, and a part of the Kaimichi Mission there. There's a, several churches that they support, small churches down in that part of the state. And uh, the main reason Mark is there is they're starting a preacher training school. And uh, Mark is going to be the main professor of that uh, school. So uh, they won't be rushed to get away from us, and uh, that'll be awesome. So I'm glad that they're going they're coming back. And in fact, they were in town when I was in the hospital. They were here in Tulsa, uh, speaking on behalf of the mission at one of the supporting churches, and uh, made it up to the hospital to see me. And it was it was great to see them. A teacher asked her students which uh, state they thought had the most cows. A little girl raised her hand and said, Texas. And the teacher said, that's right, you get an A. Now, which state do you think has the most sheep? A little boy raised his hand. He said, Montana. And the teacher said, you got an A. Who can tell me which state has the most turkeys? Little Johnny raised his hand. He said, Washington, (laughs) D.C. She gave him an A+. (laughs) All right. Oh, my goodness. Let me set the stage for you uh, in our, with our text today. And we're going to break it up into segments. I normally read all of it, but I'm going to break it up into segments and we'll share those uh, as we go along. We're in the final chapters of Matthew. And in these final chapters, to me, is standing on holy ground. Uh, these chapters tell us the final events leading up to the cross. Christ's death and His resurrection is the most important time in human history. As I mentioned earlier, on Easter Sunday, it's the greatest Sunday of all Sundays out of the 52 that happen every year. It's the greatest Sunday that ever happens for Christians. Because it's the day that our Savior rose from the grave. It's the day that He crushed Satan's head. A prophetic statement from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He did it. He did what He said He was going to do. Well, guess what? He's still going to do what He says He's going to do. And when the angel stood in the Jesus was ascending to heaven, and he was giving the final instructions to go. As he was going, the angels reappeared. What did they say to the apostles and the disciples watching this happen? Just as you have seen him leave, 
you will see Him, what? Come again. Don't ever forget that. When you feel that you've been left alone, that He's abandoning you, that He doesn't want anything to do with you, don't believe it because He's coming back to get you. I love that part. I don't want to stay here. I want to go somewhere. Come on. I want new feet. I want new eyes. I want ears that hear everything. <laughs> well, mainly on the hear part of it, but you know, that, that healing that we're promised. I can't wait to watch Pat dance around the throne of God. She will. I can't wait for Sheila to weigh 150 pounds. She will. But healthy. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. And heaven's going to be full of that. I got two brothers. And my mother's up there. They're already there. I'm ready to go see them. I want to ask my oldest brother, why'd you wait till you were 70 years old before you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? I want to ask him that. I bet he can tell me now. <laughs> Matthew begins with the passion of an anointing, an extravagant act of love by someone who understood what Christ's death meant and that it was near. It's set up beautifully in verses 1 and 2. Chapter 26, follow along with me. In your Bibles. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, He said to His disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now, why would He use the illustration of the Passover? Because He wanted to remind all... He's preaching to Jews, by the way. Predominantly Jews. They understood what the Passover was. It was when... Uh, the Israelites were protected during the ten plagues. It was the last one of the ten, right? Death of the firstborn. And they had to put blood over the doorposts of their house. Or the death mist would take their firstborn too. So those that understood God and believed in God, they put the, door, the blood over the doorposts because God said to do it. And the death mist passed over them. And so it is now, Jesus is referencing His own death and shared blood as, and in recognition of the Passover, He alerts in verse 1, Jesus' public teaching ministry has come to an end. He now turns His attention fully to the cross. Because he's ultimately came, he ultimately came to die on the cross. That's why he came to purchase your salvation and my salvation with his shed blood. He tells the disciples that the Passover is only two days away. They know that the feast is near, but what they don't understand is the true meaning. That Passover is coming. It's to fulfill all the prophecies that Jesus, the Passover lamb, will be sacrificed. 
It's the fourth time that Jesus has told the disciples that he will suffer and die in Jerusalem. But this is the first time he gives them a specific time frame. The other three he told them it's going to happen. This time he says, in two weeks. He embraces God's plan for his life. I mean, I mean in two days. And in effect, he tells the Father, lead me to the cross. See why I wanted to sing that song? Notice that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man here in this passage. It's a messianic title from Daniel chapter 7. Where one like a son of man enters God's presence and is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worship him. And he's given an everlasting kingdom. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. Where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Woo! Are you ready? I'm ready. Jesus is the Son of Man. He's in full control of all that will take place over the next few days. He's telling these guys. He'll be handed over to be crucified. No one takes his life from him. He gives his life willingly. The road uh, to glory runs straight through the cross. And Jesus does not waver. Father, lead me to the cross, he says. Now we're down in verses 3 through 5. The religious leaders meet to plot against him. Let's look. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him, but not during the feast, <laughs> they said. Or there may be a riot among the people. This echoes Psalm chapter 2. Where we read how the rulers gather together and conspire against the Lord and His anointed one. Notice what the leaders, about these leaders, that they don't assemble until after Jesus first announces it to His disciples. He announces His coming death to them and then the religious leaders gather. It's almost as though they were given permission by Christ to proceed with their plans. Jesus Submits himself to these coming events. But make no mistake about it. He's totally fully in charge. He knows that his hour has come. Father lead me to the cross. The religious leaders want to arrest and kill Christ. They're afraid of the crowds though. You ever been afraid of a crowd? Sure. Sure. You want to be accepted. That's why you don't speak up. When things are done at work that you're supposed to just look away. Things happen in your family when you're supposed to just look away. Thinking things happen in your own life when Satan tells you, just look away. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead earlier in the week. He rode into Jerusalem. Remember when he rides in? Next Sunday we'll talk about it, but he rides in on Palm Sunday. To the accolades and the hallelujahs and the glories, the palm leaves down before him on the donkey. Remember that? Remember that part of the story? They know that they can't, they can't match up to him. 
And to arrest him in the middle of the celebrations would create a riot. So they have to be very careful how they proceed. They need to be secretive about it. They plan to arrest Jesus after the feast. But as it turns out, Judas will give them a perfect opportunity. And so they actually will arrest Jesus during the feast, just like Jesus said they would. It's a setting for all that takes place in the next two chapters of Jesus' life. He predicts the time of his death, begins to walk to the cross. But I want to give you three quick takeaways I want you to have. Number one, Mary's extravagant love for Christ. It's in the midst of this setting that Matthew shares about Mary's extravagant love for Christ. In verses 6 and 7, Mary anoints Jesus with expensive perfume. Matthew flashes back to a scene from earlier in the week. It's a Saturday night before Palm Sunday. Jesus is in the town of Bethany where his friends Mary and Martha lived. And their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, they they were having dinner together when a woman comes and anoints Jesus' head and body with a very expensive perfume. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man named Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, the town of Bethany was Jesus' stopping grounds, just two miles outside of Jerusalem. We don't know who Simon the leper was. It's interesting to speculate what commentators speculate as to who he was. Uh, Some most likely assume he was a leper, a former leper that had been saved, that had been healed or cleansed by Jesus. We know that the other Gospels, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were also there, so that uh, this may have been their home, their home they, they were in. Uh, it's been suggested that Simon the leper was perhaps their father. Speculation, don't know for sure. But if Jesus had healed him from leprosy earlier, that could account for why they were so close in relationship. And why they would bring him in as family. I know as your pastor how many of you have embraced me as a part of your extended family. You love me that much that you let me come in. I'm the stepchild that you come in. (laughs) But I always tell you, don't tell them I'm a preacher right up front. Hold that off for a little bit. Because it seems like the conversation changes if they know I'm a preacher. Okay? I'm just teasing. You can you can address me however you want or not at all. It's okay. Matthew does not give us the name of the woman, but the Gospel of John tells us that it's Mary in John 12 in verse 3, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. But Matthew tells us that the perfume that Mary used was very expensive. The Gospel of Mark tells us that it was worth more than a year's wages. Even the alabaster jar containing the perfume had value. 
It was a long-necked jar that had been broken in order to pour the perfume out. And it's interesting that the account of Judas's betrayal immediately follows this anointing. Mary poured out this very expensive perfume while Judas betrayed Jesus for a much smaller amount. The 30 coins of silver were merely the cost of an injured slave. The anointing of oil on the head was reserved for the guest of honor, accompanied by the washing of feet. But instead of common household oil, Mary used this very expensive perfume. And she not only anoints Jesus' head, she pours it out on his head. Again, an extravagant, excessive act of love is directed at our Savior. And in contrast with what the temple priests who counted out 30 pieces of silver, gave to Judas. Mary was reckless, careless, abandoned. She pours out the perfume on Jesus' head and lets it run down his whole body. Gospel of John tells us that she also poured out some on his feet and wiped the feet with her hair. And the word Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. And Mary anoints her Messiah with this extravagant gift of love. In verses 8 and 9, the disciples object to this waste of money. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. They watched in disbelief as she poured out this expensive perfume upon our Savior. Wouldn't it have been better to sell the perfume and give the money to the poor, they thought? God wants us to take care of the poor. He does. He does. In verse twenty, uh, in chapter 25, in fact, uh, Jesus tells us ways that we can minister to the poor when we minister to Him. But the disciples look at the perfume running down Jesus' hair and onto the floor, and all they can think of is, what a waste. What a waste. So often we think that our gifts don't amount to much. Oh, they do. Oh, they do. You'll never know the worldwide impact that we're making as a church in Jinx, Oklahoma, upon our board. Uh, our mission board that we had on, on the wall for a while. We need to get back up there. We've got, we've got missions that we support that are are, are amazing, doing amazing things. Uh, AJ Law, uh, they just they just went through a VBS youth conference type thing in India, and uh, 800, 800 uh, kids came to know Christ as Savior. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? Just in a few days of sharing the gospel, uh, AJ did a, uh, a crusade type uh, service in the capital city of where he is. Thousands came to Christ, leaving differing faith groups to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the little bit that we, sh- we send from here. See, it gets expanded, doesn't it? That's the way God works. That's the way God works.
Bill Gates, when he was asked in an interview about his views on God and the church, he said this, Just in terms of allocation of time, resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. But he's in church. Because that's where he needs to be. And then Jesus defends her demonstration of this extravagant love in verses 10 through 13. Let's look. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. But you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for the burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus defends Mary for this beautiful outpouring of love toward him. They used heavy, laden perfumes because embalming wasn't what they did then. But they would use it to cover the body, and over a period of days it would still have somewhat, as the body decayed, uh, an aroma that you could be near the body for prayer, meditation. And Jesus knew that his time was limited. He knew that. And Mary got it. She got it. The disciples still didn't understand that Jesus must die. But Mary did. She spent time at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning from him. She knows what Jerusalem means for the Lord. And it means, and it may be the last time that she sees him, so she gives him her very best. When's the last time you gave your very best to the Lord? Gives it all. Breaks open that alabaster jar. Pours the perfume on his head. Wipes his feet with her hair. Shows Jesus an extravagant love that leaves you Absolutely breathless. And he calls it a beautiful thing. And as a result, Jesus says that what she has done will be preached along with the gospel throughout the world in her memory. As Jesus predicted, her story is to be told around the world. It's recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, And John, and here we are talking about it today. Second takeaway I want you to have is that God's extravagant, has extravagant love for us. God has extravagant love for us. Uh, 1 John 4.10 is the key verse there. Jesus said that the story of Mary's extravagant love would be told along with the preaching of the gospel. The anointing is inseparable from the gospel. Because at the cross, God showed His extravagant love for us. 1 John 4.10 This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an anointing sacrifice for our sins. You see, God sent His Son. That alone is true love. Secondly, Jesus came willingly. He didn't, he wasn't forced to come. He wasn't pushed to the cross. He willingly went so that you and I could have hope, have life, have abundance of life. 
He knew that the cross was coming and he was willing to go. You know that persecution is coming at you. Are you willing to stand up under it? What's coming? Just get ready. Just get ready. Because Jesus said it was going to come. And what did I say earlier? What He says, He's going to do. And then you need to understand that Jesus' body was broken for you. As valuable as Mary's perfume was, it cannot compare to the infinite value of the blood of Christ. First Peter chapter 1 tells us that. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Mary anointed Jesus' head. The head that would soon be bloodied and bruised. A crown of thorns pushed down into his skull. If you've ever read any accounts of the crucifixion, he suffered more for a non-criminal than any criminal could ever go through. The only thing that Jesus died for was that he told the truth. <laughs> you thought about that? He absolutely told the truth. And he loved us enough to hang on the cross so that we would have eternal life. Mary anointed the sacred head of Jesus that was wounded for you and me. Anointed his body that was broken for you and me. Anointed his feet that were pierced for you and me. Said Jesus said that Mary's story would be shared along with the gospel. And her, her extravagant love for Christ would be shared along with God's extravagant love for us. Taking me to our third give takeaway I want you to, to, to take away from this morning. And that's that our extravagant love for God has to be shown. Again, over in 1 John 4. We love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19 says, Whoever we love because He first loved us. God doesn't love us because we first loved Him. We were sinners in need of a Savior. We love God because He first loved us. Our love for God will always be in proportion to our understanding of His love for us. He's not blessed because you and I have come to Him. We're blessed because we did. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need any of that. But He's grateful when He gets it. And we're blessed when we give it, you see. I hope you understand the price that Jesus paid for you at the cross. The gospel demands a response. The gospel, and through the gospel, God shows us His extravagant love. And when Jesus sent His Son, uh, when God sent His Son to die on the cross, Jesus gave His very best. 
And when he gave his very best, it's the least you and I can do to give our very best. So the question of the hour is, what will you give? What will you sacrifice and pour out for Christ? Is it time, talent, and treasure? What is it that you're going to give and pour out? You know, Kathy stood here this morning and just said, yeah, you want to go to this gathering next Saturday, won't you go? Oh, you know, maybe I should do that. Do it. Don't just say, maybe I should. Just do it. You can't get enough. You can't give enough. You can't serve enough. But if you're giving everything you can, expect a blessing. Because God told you, I'm going to pour out a blessing on you. So as you give, give with a heart of gratitude and look what He'll do for you. Amen? Look what He's already done for you. Those of you that grab it, you know. So what's your alabaster jar of perfume this morning? What's most important and valuable in life to you? Is it family? Is it children? Is it spouse? Is it your career? Is it money, influence, approval? Is it friends? Would you give it all away for Christ? Will you give it all to Him this morning? No sacrifice is too great for Jesus. Mary showed that. And showed her extravagant love for Jesus when she broke open that alabaster jar and poured that perfume on on the body of Christ. Philip Keller said this, The delicious fragrance ran down over his shining hair. It enfolded his body with his delightful aroma, and even his tunic and flowing undergarment were drenched with its enduring pungency. Wherever he moved during the ensuing days, the perfume would go with him. Into the Passover. Into the Garden of Gethsemane. Into Herod's Hall. Into Pilate's patio. Even into the cruel hands of those who cast lots over his clothing. With each crack of the whip, Mary's gift was remembered. With each Nail driven in, her love was felt. What does Christ expect of me? To do what I can. To do what I can, regardless of criticism. To do what I can from a heart of love. And like Mary's alabaster jar, may we be found broken before Him. And like the chance we have. The choice we can make. What a difference it will make for us, but for those we encounter. Father, I ask you this morning, would you move among us and do a mighty work? There's got to be someone in this room that needs to fall on their face before you, before your cross, and say, Jesus, I need you. Oh, they may have come forward and been baptized into Christ years ago, but they've drifted. They've wandered. Maybe they've lost the enthusiasm of being saved. That's what happens to people. After a while, Satan lulls us into believing that we're okay and we don't need any more. 
We've already done it. Well, somebody else needs to do it. I don't need to. Oh, God, we never get to stop until we actually leave this life and receive the reward that you have waiting for us. So in between there, in between the dash from when we're born to when we die, we've got to live that dash to its fullest. What are we bringing to you? Is there one today? In Jesus' name, amen.